I think that one of the reasons we appreciate that song is because we feel something. We feel that something's different. Clarissa's probably just a little older than Mary would have been, and the reality of what she's singing, the lyrics of what she's singing, is a reminder that just some 2,000 years ago, the God, the one who created this world, entered into this world in a very, very different and unique way. God took on flesh, and he began his life as a little human being held in the arms by Mary in a very, very profound way. And somehow we watch her sing this song, and our minds are reflective of what it must have been like for Mary. I mean, a real human being in space and time having to carry the weight of the world in the person of Jesus Christ. The lyrics of that song are profound. Be born in me, be born in me. Trembling heart, somehow I believe. In spite of all that was going on in her life, she said, I'm going to be your servant, that you chose me. I'll hold you in the beginning, you will hold me in the end. Every moment in the middle, make my heart your Bethlehem, the city where he would be born, the place where he would inhabit. Be born in me. At this time, we've waited for your promise. What promise? The promise of Isaiah chapter 7, 9, all the promises of the Old Testament, Malachi, all of these wonderful promises that have been given to the nation of Israel, the people of Israel, about one day a Redeemer would come. At this time, you waited for my arms, this idea that he would inhabit a body. Hebrews chapter 10, verse 17, talks about Jesus inhabiting a body, coming to this earth in a body for one specific purpose, to go to the cross and offer himself as a sacrifice for sin. Did you wrap yourself inside the unexpected so that we might know that love would go that far? The love of God expressed in the unique person of Jesus Christ. Do you ever wonder what it was been like for Mary? These two families, we know very little about their extended families. We want to know. We want to know about how they grew up. We want to know moms and dads. We want to know genealogy. We want to know all of these things. Probably they grew up going to synagogue together, going to whatever their house of worship would have been. These two godly families, Jewish families coming together. You know, maybe from a distance, the parents began to look at the children going, you know what, they might be good spouses for each other. And as the families began to worship together and be together and experience life together, maybe the parents began to plan out some things. And over a period of time, what happened is they became pledged to be married to each other. Two families had committed themselves to honor the Lord in marriage. And these two families were going to be united together. So they made the plans. In a year, what we'll do is we'll get married in a year. We'll live separately. We'll figure out things, what it looks like for us as a family, what it looks like for Joseph's family, for Mary's family. We'll work out all the arrangements, and then in a year we'll gather together, we'll have this wonderful, wonderful celebration, this week-long celebration where we'll consummate our marriage and we'll begin a new life together. Mary and Joseph, the hopes of a young woman, a young man, realizing what God had done in their life, and now they're going to embark on this life together as a married couple. All of a sudden it changes. Mary is going to have a baby, but she's not going to be married. And the baby that she's going to have is, is not going to be Joseph. Her life has radically been altered by the intervention of the Holy Spirit of God in her life. And it doesn't matter what she tells people at this young age. It doesn't matter how she tries to communicate this to people. People aren't going to believe her. Well, you're an immoral woman. You are crazy that some kind of Holy Spirit came upon you and impregnated you. Are you kidding? Who's going to believe that? You're a loose woman. You're a moral woman. She's going to have to live with the shame of this as a young woman. But she says, I will embrace it. Lord, I will be your servant. I don't know what the future holds. You chose me, but I'm going to embrace it, and I'm going to move ahead. God, in his wisdom, in his power, says, I am going to radically change the world, and I'm going to radically change the world through a baby. God is going to come to earth in the incarnation, and not only Mary's life, but everyone's life from that 
point on are radically going to be changed. After the visit from the angel Gabriel to Mary, she traveled to her family member Elizabeth. She just took off. And she gets ready to greet Elizabeth. The baby in Elizabeth's womb begins to rejoice in joy. And then Mary herself begins to proclaim this wonderful testimony of the nature and the character of God about what God was going to do in her life. And what we have is through the Spirit of God, through the Holy Spirit of God, we have this beautiful, beautiful reflection of the nature and the character of God and what God was doing in her life and what God was going to continue to do in her life from a young woman whose life is about to be changed. It's almost as if Luke, the author, says, I want you to feel this. I want you to experience This is incredibly, incredibly personal to this young woman. I want you to know and experience what it must have been like for the Son of God to enter into humanity. And that's the words that we're going to look at this morning. Terry read these words. They're absolutely beautiful. When you think of Mary and this young woman, her mind is going back to the Old Testament and the promises of the Old Testament and this idea of God being a mighty God and all that God had done. And she's reflecting on her life and she's looking at the past. She's looking at the future and all of the past and the future come together in this person called Jesus, one that she's going to give birth to. There's hope in the world because of who Jesus is. Terry read the scripture. Let me just read it again. But I'm going to read it a little differently. I'm going to read it with some emphasis. So let me just begin Luke chapter 1. And Mary said, My soul glorifies the Lord, and my spirit rejoices in God, my Savior. For he has been mindful of the humble state of his servant. From now on, all generations will call me blessed. For the mighty one has done great things for me. Holy is his name. His mercy extends to those who fear him from generation to generation. He has performed mighty deeds with his arm. He has scattered those who were proud of their inmost thoughts. He has brought down rulers from their thrones. He has lifted up the humble. He has filled the hungry with good things, but has sent the rich away empty. He has helped his servant Israel, remembering to be merciful to Abraham and its descendants forever, even as he said to our fathers. This is a beautiful, beautiful description of what God has done in the past, but what God's going to do in the future through the life of Mary. Father, thank you for your word. Thank you for the wonder and the beauty of the Spirit of God giving these words from Mary about what was going on in her heart, about how this incarnation, about Jesus coming to earth personally affected her. Father, thank you for this. Lord, I ask that you'd open our minds and our hearts this morning to the Word of God, that we would see the wonder and the beauty of who you are and what you would have for us, that we would leave with hope because we know that you love us and that you care for us. Father, I ask these things in Jesus' name. Amen. This morning, we've had the privilege of coming together and worshiping together in song. I love that song, Come Lord Jesus. Aren't we waiting and aren't we looking forward to and anticipating the arrival of Jesus back to earth? As we look and we see all these things going on and the difficulties and challenges, aren't we saying, come Lord Jesus? At some point in the Old Testament, as it comes into Mary and Joseph, they begin anticipating, come Messiah, we're waiting for the Messiah. And so what I want to do this morning is this theme of a thrill of hope, a weary world rejoices from the hymn, the carol, O Holy Night. I want to look at this Christmas theme, and I want to look at three things from this text. Number one, hope is personal. Number two, hope anticipates. And number three, hope seeks fulfillment, and that's where we're going to go this morning. So let's begin in verse 46. Hope is personal. Notice the words from Mary. They're incredibly personal, and they are incredibly rich with theology. She says in verse 46, my soul 
glorifies the Lord. In verse 47, my spirit rejoices in God my Savior. For what was happening in Mary's life, this is incredibly personal to her. The angel Gabriel had told her that something's going to happen, and now she visits Elizabeth, and she recognizes that God is about to do something incredibly powerful. Through the birth of John the Baptist, Elizabeth's child, and through the child that she's going to have, God's going to break onto the scene, and he's going to do something incredibly powerful, something that had been promised years before this, that the Messiah would come. And the Messiah would come in the might and the power of the Holy Spirit, and he would radically change things, and all people would be changed. And Mary begins to recognize that. She begins to recognize with faith who God is and what God is. And notice what she says, my soul glorifies the Lord. It has the idea of, I want to magnify the Lord. In other words, I don't want to make a small God look big. I want to make an already big and mighty God I want to make him even larger in my life because of what he's done. He is the mighty one. And she saw and experienced that. How do they know that? Because Elizabeth, this barren woman, past the years of having a child, she's going to have a baby. And her, Mary, in her own life, she realizes that through the Spirit of God, she is going to have a baby. John the Baptist is going to be born. Jesus is going to be born. God is breaking onto the scene in a new and wonderful, powerful way. And she wanted to make God large. And magnify and glorify him for who he is and what he's been. By the way, remember John the Baptist? Remember when he got on the scene? Remember what he would say? He must increase, but I must decrease. That's what Mary's talking about here. She wants to glorify and she wants to magnify the Lord for who he is. What a, what a great reminder at Christmas time. In the midst of all the trappings, in the midst of all the stuff, don't we want to magnify and glorify the Lord for who he is and what he's done for us? Recognize that God came to this earth to save us for our sins. So Mary wants to magnify and she wants to adore the Lord. But also there's something else in here. For a young child, there's incredible joy. There's a lot of rejoicing going on. The hope of the Messiah promised in Isaiah chapter 11 is about to be fulfilled. He had arrived. And with the arrival of John the Baptist, the forerunner, and with the arrival of the Messiah, Jesus, there's great joy. There's a lot of rejoicing in this chapter. Go back and look at it. When Zechariah is told that he's going to have this child. It says, he will be a joy. Your child, John, is going to be a joy. And with Elizabeth, when Elizabeth finds out, there's great rejoicing going on with the arrival of this baby. And now with Mary, she's saying, this is God breaking into human history. I'm going to rejoice because of who he is and what he's done. Why is she rejoicing? Because of verse 47. My spirit rejoices in God is my Savior. God is my Redeemer. God is my Deliverer. The next time we're going to hear this idea of a Savior is going to be in Luke chapter 2, verse 11, where the shepherds are going to find out today in the city of David, a Savior has been born to you, and he is Christ the Lord today. God is breaking into human history, shepherds, and your lives will forever be radically changed because the Savior has been born. And Mary is looking at God and recognizing him for who he is and what he done. This is intensely personal for her. God, my Savior, is breaking into human history. And what I think it's important for us to realize as we read these words and we meditate on these words, is this. Notice how she responds. Her heart and her mind are they're filled with Scripture. If you go back and look at these and you begin to look at phrase by phrase and piece by piece, her mind is saturated on the Word of God, saturated from portions of Psalms and prophets, and, and her mind is saturated, thinking back to all the wonderful promises in the Old Testament where God said, I'm going to come, I'm going to send a Redeemer, I'm going to send the promise, I'm going to send the Messiah one day, and here he is, he's, he's here. And her mind is just saturated with the Word of God as she puts together what God has done in the past. 
with her life and what God's going to do in the future. The past and the future meet in the unique person of Jesus Christ. And it's all tied, it's all tied to Scripture. I think the Apostle Paul brings this out well in Romans chapter 15, where the past and the present and the future meet. Romans chapter 15, verse 4, this is a great verse to memorize. This is what Paul, the Jewish man, says. He says, for everything that was written in the past was written to teach us so that through endurance and the encouragement of the Scriptures, we might have hope. All that was written in the Old Testament, all that Mary's mind is saturated with, all of those stories, all of those promises, all of those things done have a purpose to give us hope and encouragement through the Scriptures. And I think that's why she can sit there and look at these spiritual themes of God being a mighty God, that he's come to help us, that he's returning, that he's merciful. All of these incredible things are coming back to flood her mind and her heart as she reflects on who God is and what he's done. In other words, she has a magnified view of who God is and what he would want to do in her life. Do you have that kind of view of God and what he would want to do in your life, this magnified view of what God would want to do and change your life? See, this hope is incredibly personal for her. Look at verse 48. It's personal because notice what he says, for he, God, has been mindful of the humble state of his servant. In generations to come, they're going to call me blessed because he's been mindful of me. God in his grace is coming to me and he's opened his favor to me. He's giving me grace. He's been mindful of me. He's thinking about me. He's recognizing the humility that I have in approaching him as his servant and what he's doing, he's doing something radically different in the world. In Luke chapter 1, when the angel Gabriel came to her, this is what she said when the angel came to her and gave her this revelation that she was going to have Jesus the Messiah. I am the Lord's servant. May it be to me as you have said. What an incredible statement of what? It's a statement of faith. I'm your servant. I'm going to do whatever you would have me to do. And now what she's doing, she's responding to God, knowing that he has looked down upon her and saying, I have been mindful of you. I'm going to give you my grace. I'm going to give you my favor in the Lord. This is intensely personal for Mary about what God is doing in her life. But that's another reason that this is personal to her. Look at verse 49 again. For the mighty one has done great things for me. The mighty one. When was the last time you referred to God as the mighty one? She is looking back on her life, looking back at all that had gone, had done for her people throughout the ages, throughout the centuries, all of the patriarchs, all the prophets, all of the wonderful promises. She's looking back and she's recognizing that the mighty one has done great things for her now and allowing her to have this child. You know, it's interesting when you go back and look at the phrase mighty one, a lot of times it's in reference to God being a deliverer or God being a fighter or a warrior. Isaiah and David both looked at the Lord and said, the mighty one has done great things for me. He's helped me in all of my fightings and all of my battles. Asaph, the psalmist in Psalm 50, verse 1, notice what he says. We read these words. He says, the mighty one God, the Lord, Yahweh. He speaks and summons the earth from the rising of the sun to the place where it sits. The psalmist in Psalm 50, Asaph, he says this. God will not be silent. He's the one who can summon people from the far ends of the earth to do his bidding. He will not be silent. And God is not being silent here in that he breaks into human history through the unique person of Jesus Christ in the incarnation. It's interesting that this mighty one phrase is going to be used by Jesus one day. He's going to grow up. He's going to go to the cross. And right before he goes to the cross and offers himself as a sacrifice, the high priests are going to come. And they're going to ask him a question. And they're going to say, by the way, 
you've done all these things. Are you the Messiah? If you're the Messiah, just tell us if you're the Messiah. And in Matthew 26, this is what he said. Yes, it is as you say. But I say to all of you, in the future you will see the Son of Man sitting at the right hand of the Mighty One and coming on the clouds of heaven. He was telling them that he was going to go to the cross, but he was going to be resurrected, and he would be ascended at the right hand of the Mighty One on high. And you know what that did? That made the high priest and those people go crazy because they knew exactly what he was saying. You are giving yourself the attributes of God, that you are going to place yourself, you as a human are going to place yourself at God's right hand. And Mary recognizes something unique and powerful in life, that God is very personal to her. God is breaking into her life and in the world in a very, very human way. In our passage, Mary could look back to the Old Testament, to the countless times. God fought on behalf of his people. I mean, can you think back to all those times? Whether it be the judges, whether it be the kings, whether it be the prophets, whether it be individuals or for the nation collectively. God went as a mighty God, and he protected them as covenant people, and he helped them always. He was a mighty God to all of these people. And so now what Mary's doing, she's looking at her past. She's looking at all that God had done in the past. She's realizing what's going to happen now, and she's looking to the future and saying, God is a mighty God, and he's chose me as his humble, humble servant to carry on a task that's incredibly difficult and glad to be powerful. And I don't even really know about it. I have a veiled understanding of what's going to happen in my life. The theology and God's faithfulness of the past is working in Mary's life. Then in her mind, in her heart, Mary knew Isaiah chapter 57. And it probably characterizes Mary's life and maybe the way that our lives should be. What's the kind of person that God chooses or is mindful of? Isaiah 57 says this, For this is what the high and the lofty one says, He who lives forever, whose name is holy. I live in a high and holy place, but also with him who is contrite and lowly in spirit, to revive the spirit of the lowly, and to revive the heart of the contrite. Where are you at? Are you in that place where your heart is discontent, your heart is kind of fractured? And I hear it all the time from people, especially at this time of year. Their heart's broken. They don't know what's going on. And what God says is, I'm for those who are sorry for their sin, who will humbly come to me. I will revive you. He's a reviver kind of God. And Mary knows and understands that. And in verse 48, you know what she says? An incredible phrase, from now on. That's what Jesus does in life. When he comes in and he transforms you on the inside, your life is forever different. From now on, the old things have passed away. Behold, new things have come. Do you see the hope in this text from Mary? Christmas is personal for her. God is revealing himself to her in a mighty and a powerful way, and it comes in the form of the unique person of Jesus Christ and who he is. And what Jesus will do as he gets older, he will invite us to come to him. Come to me, all you are weary and heavy burdened, and I will give you rest. Matthew chapter 11. That's the Savior who's going to go. That's the hope that we have. That's the way that our God likes to transform our lives. Do you recognize that God in your life that way? Is Christmas personal to you in that way that you're looking, inviting Jesus to be a part of your life and to transform your life again? because of who he is and his faithfulness in the past. So to Mary, Christmas is very, very personal. The hope is personal. Second thing I think we see here is that hope anticipates God's faithfulness. God's been faithful in the past, but what God's going to do, because he's been faithful in the past, it means that I can know that he's going to be faithful in the future. Look at verse 50. Verse 50 and 54 seem to highlight something incredibly important. God's mercy. God is a merciful God. And what God doesn't do is he doesn't give me what I deserve. 
I deserve something other than who I am because of the things that I've done in the past and all the wrongs that I've done and the shameful things that I've responded. And what God does is God says, then I'm going to extend mercy to you. I'm going to give you grace because of who Jesus is and what he's done. Did you notice how Mary looked back? Over and over there's this phrase, and I tried to reiterate it. He has, he has, he has. If you were to sit down today, tomorrow morning, grab your cup of coffee, could you make a list of all the things where God has worked in your life? Do you see the hand of God in your life where he has done mighty things in your life? See, I think we have a tendency to overlook them and forget about what God is doing and giving us all of these wonderful blessings that he has. And it's real easy for us to focus on what we don't have and to forget that what we do have in the unique person of who Jesus is. And what she's saying, he has done great things. Her life was about to change. And there's no doubt in my mind, no doubt that Mary could look back on her life and all of the stories in the past, all of the songs in the past. Moses brings the people out. And Moses and Miriam sing this song of rejoicing in Exodus chapter 15. And God frees them from Sisera. And Deborah and Barak, they come together and they sing a song of celebration for who God is and what he had done in the past. Hannah, this barren woman, Hannah, she finally is able to have a child. In 1 Samuel chapter 2, verse 1, you have this incredibly wonderful and beautiful song that she sings to the Lord for the grace that God had been given her in her life, that she would have a child and that she would go on and dedicate that child and bring him to the temple where they would worship together. See, what we have is Mary looking back on the past and looking about what God had done and anticipating the future and saying, God has been faithful in the past. And because God has been faithful in the past, hope says God will continue to be faithful in the future. Look at verse 51 and 52. God has been faithful to care for his people. He's been able to protect them as God's covenant people. Even though they sinned, even though they were built, even though they did all of these things, God continued to extend his hand of mercy to them. And he didn't wipe them out. Talks about God being a merciful God because he scattered the proud and he brought down the rulers. I can imagine Mary maybe thinking back and her mind is saturated with scripture. And maybe she's thinking back to Esther. Remember the story of Esther? Tried to destroy all the Jewish people and God used Esther in a mighty powerful way. Haman was eventually hung on his own gallows that he meant and Mordecai was redeemed. He was set free to worship the way that he wanted to do. And God, even though in the book of Esther, his name's not even mentioned, you see the hand of God behind the scenes leading Esther, leading the people, leading Mordecai in such a way that God would protect them and care for them and help them in the way. And that's the story. God takes down the proud. Go back and do a simple review of history. Nebuchadnezzar, Belshazzar. All of these people at one particular point in time, the proud and the lofty, God has brought them down in such a way to change their life and to try to get them to reorient themselves to humility and who God is and what he would have for them in their lives. Go back and look. Kings and businesses and organizations and powerful people, prideful people, God has a way of bringing down back to earth. And I think when Mary says from now on, she's reminding not only them and us, but reminding us something unique about the person of Jesus and who he is and what he would do. That position and power and pride would be radically altered because of who Jesus is. He would take this idea of position and power and pride and he would radically change it, meaning we're servants of each other. That God, Philippians chapter 2, would come and humble himself and offer himself as a sacrifice for sin. Is God in his mighty power coming and giving himself in humility away? 
there's a man, and I think he encapsulates well what has happened in the arrival of Jesus and how these power structures would be changed. Notice what he says. He said, in God's choice of two persons of humble life like herself and Elizabeth, she sees the powerful revolutionary principle according to which God is going to renew everything through the Messiah. What's going to happen? The principle entails a complete reversal of all human opinions of greatness and significance. That's what Jesus did. He flipped it all on his head. By the way, where does sin come from? Sin doesn't come from the outside. Sin comes from the inside. It's not about who you are and what you do. It's about embracing who Jesus is and what he's done for us and walking in humility after the things that he's done. Jesus says, if you want to be great, do what? Be the servant of all. Peter said, God is opposed to the proud, but gives grace to the humble. Where did he learn that? He learned that from all the boasting and things that he did with the life of Jesus. He learned practically from living with Jesus what it meant to be a humble person. And so what Mary's doing is she's reflecting on the past. She's reflecting on her own life, recognizing because God has been faithful in the past, God will be faithful in the future. And as her mind is saturated with the stories and the truth from the prophets and all that God had done in the past, I got to believe in her mind she begins to think through some of the prophetic passages about the Messiah coming. Isaiah chapter 28 says this. So this is what the sovereign Lord says. See, I lay a stone in Zion, a tested stone, a precious cornerstone for a sure foundation. The one who trusts will never be dismayed. I wonder if the Jewish people, and she had this in her mind, one day, I wonder what that means. And then Peter would come alongside. And in 1 Peter chapter 2, what does he do? He defines what that verse meant. 1 Peter chapter 2 verse 6 says this, for in scripture it says, see, I lay a stone in Zion, a chosen and precious cornerstone. And the one who trusts in what? In him will never be put to shame. In other words, the one who was promised in the Old Testament in the book of Isaiah has now come in the form, in the person of Jesus Christ, in the incarnation, and we are to put our faith and our trust in him. And it says, the one who puts his faith and trust in him will never be put to shame. That's the him of who Jesus is. That's the baby that we celebrate him. And that's the God who said he would be faithful. I will be faithful. I will announce beforehand through my prophets that I'm going to send the Messiah. And then you have the arrival of the Messiah and God's promise in the past, find fulfillment and who Jesus is, and they will find their fulfillment in the future. What are you hoping for in the future for God's promises? If God has been faithful in the past, won't he be faithful in the future? I think that's the message from Mary. That's how she was able to do it. I can look back and see what God has done, knowing that in this difficult journey that I'm about to embrace, carrying the Messiah, this child, my life's going to be radically different, but I'm going to embrace it, and by faith, I'm going to move ahead. So for Mary, hope is personal. For Mary, hope anticipates God being faithful, and you can anticipate God being faithful in your life. And the last thing is that hope is fulfilled because of God's promises, God's sure promises of what he would do with Abraham, Isaac, and Jacob, what God would do in sending a redeemer. In verse 50 and 54, Mary speaks of God's merciful. It says this in verse 54, he has helped his servant Israel, remembering to be merciful. Servant Israel, the nation of Israel. What were those people of Israel supposed to do? They were supposed to be faithful to God, faithful to the covenant, faithful to the commandments, walk with the Lord, and as they walked with the Lord, they would be a light to the nations. And over and over, they rebelled in their minds and their hearts, and they gave up. That's the Old Testament. It's a story of God never giving up on his people and always showing mercy to his people because their God is a merciful and loving God. Christmas is about a lot of Christmas stories. 
and movies and things like that. And, and there's a couple of them that I'm familiar with because there's a lot of them that when I watch them, they point to the truth. There's a Christmas movie called The Christmas Story. Are you familiar with it? Anybody familiar with it? Yeah, okay. Well, if you're not familiar with it, you're going to be familiar with it because I'm going to tell you about it. Christmas Story is about the many challenges of Ralphie. What does Ralphie want? He just wants a Red Ryder BB gun, right? That's all he wants. Come on. As a kid, everybody wanted a Red Ryder BB gun when I was a kid. That's all I want. But everyone's conspiring against him. Even Santa Claus says, no, you can't have a Red Ryder BB gun. Why? You'll shoot your eye out. That's exactly right. You're going to shoot your eye out. So he's a little despondent. So he goes to school. And after one really, really bad day at school, he comes home and the bully's there in the alley. And this bully's always there in the alley. And the bully is just driving him crazy. And this day, he'd had enough. He had had enough. And all the things going on in life, all the friends, all, it just welled out. And he went after the bully. And he just physically went after that bully. And they had a little fight, a little smackdown, right? And he took that bully to task. And he was going at it. The problem is as he was going at it, he began to shout some obscenities. Yeah? Little Ralphie was shouting some obscenities. And a little unknown to him was his mom somehow caught wind of the fight and come up. And so he's beating up this guy, shouting these obscenities, and his mom comes up, and she finds out what's going on, she hears, and he's in trouble. So she grabs him, she marches him, she takes him back, and he goes up to his room. And Ralphie's in his room, and he's anticipating the worst of punishment. He knows that when his dad gets home, he's going to be really, really in trouble. And their whole family is kind of recognizing that Ralphie's in trouble, If you're familiar with the scene, the little boy, his brother, is under the cupboard, under the sink, and he's underneath there, and he's whimpering, and the mom goes, what are you doing in there? And the little boy says, daddy's going to kill Ralphie. (laughs) Everybody knew what was going to happen. He was in big trouble. And Ralphie knew that. He's up in his room and anticipating this. He knew that he had said some dreadful things. So he's laying in his bed, and he hears the car pull up, and he just knows that he's in a world of hurt. And the narrator says, I heard the car pull up the driveway and a wave of terror broke over me. He'll know what I said, the awful things I said. That's what the narrator said, and he knew what was going on. So hearing his dad's voice, Ralphie walks downstairs to his fate. His dad asks him, well, what happened at school? And he just knows he's in trouble. And his mom says, oh, nothing much. Ralphie had a fight. And the dad just grabs a paper, tension dry. Dad put down the paper, and he looks at Ralphie with a stern gaze and says, the fight? What kind of fight? Mom replies, oh, you know how boys are. I gave him a good talking to. Oh, I see the Bears are playing the Packers on Sunday. And it suddenly dawns on Ralphie that he had been shown mercy. He was not going to get what he deserved. And what's interesting in the movie, it says his mother poured out mercy on him. And a smile breaks on Ralphie's face. And this is what he says to himself. I slowly realized that I was not about to be destroyed. From then on, things were different between me and my mother. In other words, he recognized because he had been given mercy by his mom, his life will forever be changed. That is the story of Mary. God had been merciful to his people. God has been merciful in the past. God continues to show his merciful. He's merciful to his servant Israel, and he's been merciful to all of us. And with this idea from now on, when he uses that that phrase, from now on, it means this. Because of who Jesus is, my life is radically going to be different. What's interesting is this. When you look at Luke and the many times that he uses that phrase from now on, it signifies a change. 
with the disciples from now on meant now you're going to not be fishing, you're going to be fishers of men. From now on, your task and training is going to be different. And later on, when Jesus has a conversation with the people, he says, from now on, because of the message of Jesus, there's going to be divisions in families. Moms and sons and daughters and family members. There's going to be a division in this family because of who Jesus is and what he does and what he represents. He says, from now on, there's going to be divisions. So we shouldn't be surprised when people don't embrace what we have to say. Because from now on, things are going to be different. Because when you embrace Jesus, from now on, your life is radically going to be different. And there's no doubt that Mary could put together all that God had done in the past, all of the promises of the Old Testament, from the people, the patriarch, all of those wonderful, wonderful teachings, and come to an understanding that God was going to break new in a mighty and powerful way. And all the promises of the Old Testament are going to come through. I want to end with this verse. Paul writes about this. He writes about the past and the promises of the past and how the promises of the past have been brought into the future. Romans chapter 15, verse 8 says this. For I tell you that Christ, the Messiah, became a servant of the Jews. He became a servant of the Jews by offering himself as a sacrifice for sin. On behalf of God's truth, to confirm the promises made to the patriarchs. That's what she's talking about. Abraham and to his descendants. God had made promises to them that a Savior, a Redeemer, a Messiah would come. And that's what Paul is writing here. To confirm the promises made to the patriarch. So that the Gentiles, the nations, all of us may glorify God for his mercy as it is written. Therefore, I will praise you among the Gentiles. I will sing hymns to your name. So Paul writes that. And that last phrase is a quotation from 2 Samuel Chapter 22, verse 50, when David is finally given over and all of his enemies have been taken care of, he, in 2 Samuel 22, stops and sings this praise to God for who he is. And he looks forward to the time when the Messiah would come and all people, Gentiles, nations, would sing hymns and praises to your name. That's the promise that God has been faithful in the past. God's going to be faithful in the future. So let me just end with this. Verse 48 says this, from now on. Let me ask you something. Is your life different because of Jesus from now on? Not just here, but here. You sense and feel who Jesus is and what he's done for you. Can you look back and go, he has done this. He has been faithful. God has done this in my Can you identify some of those areas in your life? Maybe not so much focus on what you don't have, but what you do have and who Jesus is. And I think this idea of being merciful. Boy, there's a lot of broken people. We have a lot of broken people going through a lot of difficult things right now. And we have the opportunity to extend mercy and grace to other people. That's what God did to Mary, mindful of this servant. God is mindful of who we are and the condition that we are in. And he wants to continue to give us grace, and he wants to give us the person of Jesus so we can rejoice. And last thing is, there's much rejoicing in chapter 1. Mary wants to magnify the Lord. I want us to magnify the Lord. I want us to honor the Lord. I want us to glorify him. It was so fun to walk in here, see the beauty of these lights, and to see the colors, and to hear Clarissa sing about a baby, and be reminded that we have the privilege of magnifying Jesus, making him big in our life. Father, thank you for Jesus. Father, I do pray that we would honor, we would glorify you, and we would magnify you. Father, I don't know what's going on in the personal lives of every person here, but you know. God, you know what's on their mind and their heart. And Father, we do want to honor you. We want to glorify you. We want to magnify you.
Father, we're grateful for the hope that we have in Jesus. And Father, I pray that if there's anyone here this morning who's just struggling in life, Father, you would remind them that you love them personally, that you care for them, that you've been faithful in the past and you will be faithful in the future. And we need to look to you for who you are and what you've done. Lord, with our faith eyes, we need to see who you are and what you've done, knowing that as you've been faithful in the past, you will be faithful in the future. Father, I thank you for this in Jesus' name.